Say, what's going on over there? I don't know. People seem to be crowding around something. <gasps> what is it, Fred? By God, that's the same man I saw last night. I thought he was just a drunkard sleeping it off. Call the policeman. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Colin Snell. Welcome to an episode on historical cryptography from One Time Pod. What makes the mystery genre so captivating? Is it the suspense, the ignorance of a motive, or the plight of a helpless victim? The whodunit concept has been popularized and enjoyed by audiences for centuries of literature. What I have been describing, however, appears predominantly in fictional stories about outlandish murder mysteries. The premise of this podcast explores when these stories become reality, a perfect cold case. On the crisp morning of December 1st, 1948, a man was found dead, seated upright against a seawall on the Somerton Beach in Adelaide, Australia. The man did not have any belongings with him and no identification of any kind. He was dressed in a nice American-made suit with a burnt cigarette in his limp hand. In his pockets were an American comb, a half-finished pack of juicy fruit gum, and the case of unusually nice cigarettes. Remember these items, as I will return to them later in the story. The local news story quickly branded him as the Somerton Man. Several people came forward throughout the next few weeks attempting to identify the man, but each time proved to be a dead end, or the person was simply alive. It was not until six weeks later that the police received any apparent clue to the man's identity. Six weeks later, the police retrieved a suitcase from a nearby train station coat room that they believe contained the man's possessions. Mind you, up until this point, they were not able to find any evidence of the man's identity. All of the labels had been deliberately cut out of the articles of clothing he wore. In the suitcase, however, might have been the first clue. Inside were three shirts with the name Keane, K-E-A-N-E, written on the inside. A break in the case? As it turned out, no. The police found that no one by that name was missing. Stumped again, investigators re-examined the body and found something very interesting. Tucked in a secret compartment in the man's pants was a scrap of paper with the words, Tomam Shud. Discovered to be a Persian phrase, ominously meaning, the end. It was subsequently discovered that those were the final words of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, an 11th century book of Persian poems that was popular at the time. But what does this John Doe and his mysterious death and identity have to do with cryptography? As it happens, a man came forward saying he had found a copy of the book in his car when he had parked near Somerton Beach before going for a walk with a friend, which he coincidentally left the windows open in. Thinking nothing of it at the time, he placed it in his glove box until the police issued a statement asking for the public's help concerning the Rubaiyat. When the police flipped to the back of the book where Tomam should, should have appeared, they found the words torn out. But what baffled them even more was what they found on the next page. Scribbled on the back cover were five lines of ciphertext and a phone number when examined with ultraviolet light. Despite attempts by the FBI and Scotland Yard cryptanalysis divisions, efforts to decrypt the five lines were largely unsuccessful. They did, however, get as far as narrowing the text down to likely being acrostic text. 
Acrostic text, or poem, is when the first letter of each line in a poem spells out a word, commonly used as a mnemonic device aid for remembering it. They deduce this by using frequency analysis on the text and narrowing the first letters of the lines as potential candidates for English words. For those not versed in cryptanalysis methods, frequency analysis is a method by which codebreakers calculate the percentage of occurrence of specific letters or symbols in a ciphertext. Then, comparing those percentages to the frequency of the letters in the common English text, for example, the most commonly used letter in the English alphabet is E, so, if a letter or symbol appears most often in a ciphertext, codebreakers can start by assuming that the letter or symbol might be substituted for E, and so on and so forth. Another theory comes from former UK detective Gordon Kramer, a research member of the Association of Former Intelligence Officers. Kramer claims that certain letters, called prosigns, match Morse code operators' manuals from World War II. These prosigns were designed to signify instructions to shorten messages. Kramer also asserts he has found evidence of microwriting in the letters, a form of stenography or hidden writing, made out to be Venom X4621, the name of a British post-war jet being developed. These apparent findings would lend evidence in support of the claim that the Somerton man was a spy. But before we delve further into these theories, let's get back to the case. As for the phone number, it interestingly enough belonged to a local nurse, Joe Thompson, who at the time went by the pseudonym Justin. When questioned by the police, she admitted she had a copy of the Rubaiyat during the war when she trained as a nurse, a copy she had given to a friend. Unfortunately, that turned out to be a dead end, as they later found this Alfred Boxel alive and well with the copy. Other than that, she claimed to know nothing. Still, the police brought her down to the station to show her a plaster cast of the Somerton Man. She was taken aback and looked faint when she viewed the bust. Still, Justin denied all knowledge. It was not until 2014 that the cold case experienced somewhat of a breakthrough. The daughter of the nurse in 2014 stated in a 60 Minutes interview that her mother told her she had in fact known the man but could not tell authorities because it was above their heads. She also revealed her mother used to speak in hurried, hushed Russian on the phone and said she tutored immigrants in English. This prompted many people to form theories the man and the nurse were spies, a theory not far from possibility as the Cold War was in its beginning stages. For the spy theory, for one, the man appeared to be American. Remember, he had in his possession the American comb, Juicy Fruit, which was a gum widely popular at the time in America but largely unheard of in Australia, and his American-made suit. The man was said to be exceptionally fit, something you'd expect from a spy. The coroner's theories on his death also support a death of espionage. Poisoning. When his body was examined, his liver and spleen were enlarged three times the normal size, and his stomach was found to be congested with blood. When the coroner's test could find no trace of normal poisons, the detectives consulted an expert. Sir Cedric Stanton Hicks, a professor at a local college. He examined the body and identified two possible rare poisons that would fit the description, digitalis and strophanthin, two rare and extremely deadly poisons. 
These were commonly used during the Cold War by Soviet operatives. Furthermore, the Somerton Man was killed near a major atomic testing site in southern Australia. Does this mean the code written in the back of the book was related to sensitive atomic secrets? Based on Kramer's findings of microwriting within the letters of, of a British jet in development, maybe the information was of top military classification. Australia seemed to be a stronghold that both Americans and Soviets were vying for, a crucial point in the Pacific and a possible buffer for the Americans in their effort to stop the eventual spread of communism towards the West. Was the testing site's proximity to Adelaide the reason Justin was teaching English to quote-unquote immigrants? It would all make sense for an influx of Soviet agents converging on an atomic site at a time when the Soviet Union and the United States were constantly stealing information from each other in regards to classified nuclear information. The intrigue of a thrilling story filled with spies, secrets, and death is rarely the one the public is able to view non-fictitiously. But do these stories have merit? Possibly. But most of the evidence seems hazy. Or is that the way it was supposed to seem by those who covered it up? Why have the government's top codebreakers not been able to decipher the five lines of text? Or have they? But the material hidden was too sensitive to reveal. Was Justin a woman of guarded secrets? Or simply a woman with an infatuated ex-lover? Who knows? In the future, perhaps, we might uncover who the Somerton Man was and why his stint on the beaches in Adelaide, Australia was his tamam should.